Welcome to the Bud Zone Podcast. I'm Bud, your host. The Bud Zone Podcast is for, from, and by saints, our buds in the faith. To edify one another in the faith and to encourage one another to love and good works. We discuss the world, we discuss the church, we discuss the faith, we discuss truth, and we do it with the mind of Christ. Thank you for joining us. Well, greetings and welcome to this new podcast, The Bud Zone. While my name is Bud, The Bud Zone podcast is not about me. It aims, rather, to feature other saints, our buds in the faith, to discuss a variety of topics. Our goal is to engage with other faithful believers in short conversations about matters of concern to disciples. We want to be edifying and encouraging, polemical when necessary, and Christ-honoring always. We will, as the introduction says, discuss the world, we'll discuss the culture, we'll discuss the church, and we'll discuss truth. We will seek to do this from a biblical worldview, from the mind of Christ. While we hope the podcast will, from time to time, feature fellow saints with names you might recognize, what we also hope to do is feature guests who might not have that larger platform enjoyed by so many faithful believers whom we love and learn from. We want to talk to the typical church pastor who's faithfully toiling to serve the Lord by serving the local congregation in which he's been placed. We want to converse with faithful laymen and laywomen in the church who constitute the body of Christ and who are doing the work of ministry. In other words, we want to have conversant fellowship with other faithful believers to highlight the work of the Lord which has, since the moment of his ascension, been ongoing. He is faithful, and he is building his church. One of the truths that has been sorely misunderstood or either blatantly ignored by much of the visible church is what the ministry is all about. Far too many pew-sitting professors see the faith as a ministry that is done unto them by the professionals in the pulpit or the staff compiled in a local church. But this sort of ministry is to be done by the professionals for me attitude is distinctly contrary to the New Testament. While we are thankful that the Lord has gifted his church with pastors and teachers, as Paul tells us in Ephesians, we must understand that the duty, the responsibility of ministry is not exclusive to them. Just as R.C. Sproul quipped and, and even wrote a book entitled, Everyone is a Theologian, In a very real, and a very biblical sense, everyone is also a minister. We, the church, the individual believer, we are to do the work of ministry. So, in this introductory Bud Zone podcast, instead of having a guest, I first want to discuss a biblical philosophy of ministry. And to do that, we will turn to Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Those verses say, And he, meaning Christ, gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. The need for a biblical philosophy of ministry is easily deduced from the words of Paul here. 
the realm of ministry today seems to be popularly relegated by the average church member as exclusive to pastors and teachers. What is generally disregarded is that while Paul was acknowledging the grace of the Lord in giving the church such men, his intent was neither to elevate them within the church nor to reserve for them the proprietary duty of Christian ministry. Ministry is not exclusive to or even to be primarily performed by those holding the gifted positions. Paul's point in Ephesians 12 makes clear that the men gifted to the church were given for the express purpose of, quote, equipping the saints for the work of service. While the duty of ministry certainly is obligatory for those men who hold a gifted position, the presence of these positions in the church is for the benefit of all believers who share in the same duty of ministry under the same Lord. The saints are to be equipped, that is, to be fitted, to be made whole, to be made complete for the work of service. That word service in the NASB, which I just read, diakonos, is more usefully given as ministry in the ESV. The intent is that the majority of ministry is to be done by saints who, by the equipping work of edification by those pastors and teachers, are being taught, trained, discipled, and made capable by them. In Ephesians 4.13, Paul makes clear what the ultimate goal is, mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's necessary, but often lacking, for the saint to have a philosophy of ministry. This philosophy must be biblically grounded, Christ-centered, gospel-motivated, and spirit-led. It is a work to which each believer is called and for which each believer has been saved. To establish a proper philosophy of ministry, then, the fullness of Scripture must be considered. While many may find an easy philosophy of ministry encapsulated in the Great Commission, that alone is an incomplete understanding of the Christian ministry. It is from the Apostle Paul that a more complete summary of Christian ministry may be found. As Paul exhorted the Corinthians to, quote, imitate me, it's invaluable for contemporary saints to formulate a philosophy of ministry by imitating Paul. And I would suggest that we look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29 to see Paul's summarized version of his own philosophy of ministry. Colossians 1, 28 and 29 says the following, Him we proclaim, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. One would be hard-pressed to find a more concise summary of Paul's own philosophy of ministry than these words of his to the Colossians. The genuine believer would also find, by employing Paul's philosophy and imitating his devoted life, that such a ministry humbly undertaken will assuredly meet with a well-done, good, and faithful servant at that moment when we face our glorious Lord. An analysis of Paul's words establishes a biblically approved, apostle-illustrated philosophy of ministry for the contemporary saint. There are six points that I want to make as a result of what Paul has written to the Colossians here. Point number one, the proper focus of ministry is Christ. It's imperative that any Christian ministry prominently, preeminently, and perpetually focus on the person and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Colossians 1.28 says, Him we proclaim. It's echoed elsewhere by Paul in other epistles. To the Corinthians, he says, we preach Christ in 1 Corinthians one twenty three, And I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified in 1 Corinthians 2.2. 2. To the Philippians, he states he was appointed for the defense of the gospel. And though some were pre- preaching Christ with illicit, harmful intentions against him, he gave thanks that the gospel was yet being proclaimed. To the Ephesians, Paul touts, the grace that he, the least of saints, would be tasked to preach the gen- to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. The inspired writer Luke records the efforts of Paul throughout his missionary travels with such language as, quote, devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ from Acts 18, verse 5. Or, again, in uh, Acts 18, verse 28, uh, Luke writes that Paul quote, powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. In Acts 17, Paul is directly quoted, this Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. The example of Paul is the example for us. The focus of the ministry of the saints must only be the message about Christ. Christ alone as Lord and Savior is the content of our counsel the person of our proclamations, and the focus of genuine faith. He is, as Ephesians 2.20 says, the chief cornerstone of the church and of the ministry of the church through its saints. Though many false teachers, errant messages, and enticing exit ramps seek to persuade our attention off the narrow path, it must be a single-minded fixation on Christ as the way, the truth, and the life who consumes our ministry efforts. So point number one, him we proclaim. Point number two, the proper means of Christ-focused ministry. Having the proper Christ-centered focus, Paul employed two overarching means in his philosophy of ministry. In Colossians 1.28, he gives these as admonishing and teaching, Coupled together, Paul gives a balance of a negative and a positive means that he employed in his ministry. The negative task of admonishing, which is so lacking in the visible church today, is necessary in order to provide correction for those misguided by errant teaching. In the citation of Paul in Acts 18.28, the employment of this negative means is highlighted. It says there, he powerfully refuted. And in his letter to the Thessalonians, Paul commands believers to, quote, admonish the unruly in 1 Thessalonians 5.14. A biblical philosophy of ministry will involve admonishment, but it must not be forgotten that Paul consistently exhibits and exhorts the attitude of love. To the Ephesians, he reminds them about speaking the truth in love in Ephesians 4.15. And later in Colossians, he reminds them that, Quote, beyond all these things put on love from Colossians 3.14. The goal of admonishment for Paul could easily be captured in his opening remarks to the Colossians that they would, quote, "Be be bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. The positive means Paul employed and given to us by example from him is teaching from Colossians 1.28. All believers are commanded to teach. 
It is important to note that disciple-making is a task which begins not when the new believer emerges from the waters of baptism, but when the obedient believer shares the repent-and-believe gospel with an unbeliever. The very nature of discipling, whether with an unbeliever or a believer, is bound up in the task of teaching. As Paul exhorts Titus, so he exhorts us. Titus 2.1, speak or teach the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. So point number two, a biblical philosophy of ministry will employ admonishing and teaching in love for the edification of fellow saints in sound doctrine and the proclamation of the gospel to the unregenerate. So, we've looked at point one, that the proper focus of ministry is Christ. We've looked at point two, that the proper means of Christ-focused ministry is admonishing and teaching. Now, point number three, the proper target of ministry. It's hard to miss the example of Paul in Colossians 1.28, Three times he states, quote, every man. A proper philosophy of ministry will not be restricted to those within the walls of the home or the church, to one's particular demographic or clique, or to one's particular relational preferences. All those are important. But ministry, at one level or another, is to be extended to every man. We must be reminded from Paul that, like him, we are ambassadors for Christ, seeking the reconciliation of unbelievers and straying believers to God, 2 Corinthians 5.20. With Timothy, we are to, quote, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. We are commanded elsewhere by Paul to, quote, be on the alert, 1 Corinthians 16.13. And while we have every opportunity, let us do good to all people, Galatians 6.10. Aware of the sovereign providence of God, we are to be open, available, and searching for opportunities among all men to be of ministerial service. Point number three, then, the ministry of the saints is unrestricted in scope. We are to be ready in season and out of season with the truth of Christ to all people. Point number four in our philosophy of ministry. What is the proper goal of ministry? Paul was unwavering in his ministry goal. It was to present every man complete in Christ, Colossians 1.28. This Pauline goal is repeated throughout his epistles. To the Romans, he opens and closes this magnum opus with the goal of bringing about in his readers what he calls the obedience of the faith. You find that in Romans 1.5 and in Romans 16.26. This is nothing less than their single-minded commitment and submission to Christ. To the sin-plagued church at Corinth, Paul directly exhorts that they be made complete, 1 Corinthians 1.10 and 2 Corinthians 13.11. The apostle encourages the Ephesians that they become a mature man to the measure of the nature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, Ephesians 5.20. To the Thessalonians, Paul prays that they may be fully sanctified and, quote, be preserved complete, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. To his beloved son in the faith, to whom the mantle of ministry was being passed, Paul exhorts Timothy to, quote, fulfill his ministry as an under-shepherd. By example, Paul provides us with the goal of Christ for the ministry engaged upon by his saints, 
with unbelievers, we are, according to Paul, to be engaged in destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. We're to be taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, 2 Corinthians 10.5. For Paul, this goal is pursued among believers by the vigorous presentation and defense of the gospel, which is the power of God for salvation, Romans 1.16. With fellow saints, engagement in ministry moves beyond, but never to the exclusion of, the gospel, and it moves into intentionally, biblically-centered discipleship. As Paul instructed Timothy to preach the word, the apostle defines what that means for his young protege and what it means for us. Like Timothy, we are to reprove, rebuke, and exhort by means of preaching the word, and we are to do this with complete patience and instructions, uh, 2, Corinthians, or 2 Timothy 4.2. In his epistle to the Thessalonians, Paul emphasizes what being complete looks like for the believer. He pointedly, pithily, and clearly states, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, 1 Thessalonians 4.3. The end goal for Christian ministry is to promulgate holiness both in others and in ourselves. However, it is not merely a piety of ethics or ecclesiastic responsibility that the apostle has in mind. Rather, it is as he clarified for the Romans as to what God's purpose is in his loving providence, and that is that we would become conformed to the image of his son, Romans 8.28. So point number four. Following the example of the Christ-commissioned and Christ-trained apostle, the goal of all Christian ministry is to bring every man under the lordship of Jesus Christ, working to aid their growth in faith and holiness in order that they may become like Christ so that he would be the firstborn, the preeminent one among many brethren. Point number five, the proper perspective of ministry. Paul gives us a practical attitude and a performance perspective for proper ministry. He says that, quote, for this, I, for this purpose I labor, striving, in Colossians 1.29. He leaves no room for doubt that ministry, whether for the men who constitute Christ's gifts to the church, those pastors and teachers, or for the individual saints themselves, it is not a casual undertaking. Paul labors. He strives to accomplish the goal of his ministry. He is not reticent to claim that service in the ministry of Christ is not merely a hobby. It is not a pastime, nor is it part-time. It is not a Lord's Day-only duty. It is full-time, round-the-clock service. And as the apostle we are to imitate makes clear, ministry is work. It cannot go without mention what may be expected from obedient ministry as seen from Paul's own illustrative work. To the Corinthians, particularly 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 27, the apostle boasts, as if insane, about the temporal side effects of his divinely ordained ministry in the midst of attacks from false teachers and false apostles. Paul claims, quote, far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. He received lashes, was beaten with rods, was stoned once, shipwrecked three times, traveled frequently, always in danger of robbers, fellow countrymen, and of nature itself. He states that I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, 
often without food and cold and exposure. For Paul, ministry was work, and often it was not easy work. We must share this understanding from our apostolic example. What was the impetus for this selfless, devoted, and often dangerous service of Paul? He clarifies his answer to the Philippians. Paul disdains all his earthly sacrifices and achievements and counts all this as loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Philippians 3, 8 through 10. So, point number five. Adopting the proper perspective of Paul requires us to approach ministry as self-sacrificial. It is potentially temporally costly and perhaps deadly work for Christ. Like Paul, our ministry is to be our life's endeavor as we press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Point number six the proper power for ministry. The final critical element for a philosophy of ministry, particularly after evaluating the risks, losses, and dangers incurred by our example in Paul, is for us to clearly understand that the power that compels us and sustains us in ministry. Ever humble, Paul took no credit for superhuman stamina in executing his ministerial duties. He did not claim to single-mindedly do the work of ministry as a result of the power of his own teeth-gritted, willful dynamism. Likewise, neither can we, by simple willpower or the power of gut-driven determination, succeed in our ministry if we fail to recognize that our striving must also be as Paul's was. It must be, quote, according to his power, which mightily works within me, as he noted in Colossians 1.29. Our prayer for our own ministry and for that of our fellow earthbound saints must apprehend the intercessory plea of Paul for the Colossians. He prayed that they would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, Colossians 1.11. As Paul exhorted the Philippians to, quote, work out their own salvation with fear and trembling, we too must not miss the point of that apostolic command. It is because it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure, as Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. How is it we are to rely on the power of God for ministry? Paul gives us the answer in his oft-cited verse to Timothy. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. It is the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, that performs His intended divine work in us, from salvation to sanctification, leading to glorification. It is likewise the Spirit of God, through His Word, who empowers us for obedient usefulness in the ministry of Christ. So point number six a biblical philosophy of ministry will rely upon the Spirit of God to empower, encourage, and illuminate us. There is no fruitful labor apart from the power of God in the believer. Like Paul for the churches, we must pray without ceasing, particularly for the power of God for our obedience to and effectiveness through our ministry, which is done for his glory. So here's the summary, the six points. 
the proper focus of ministry must be Christ alone. Number two, the means of ministry is lovingly admonishing and teaching the truth of Christ. Point three, the target of ministry is all men, all people. Number four, the goal of ministry is is to disciple people to full maturity in the faith, beginning with the gospel call for unbelievers to repent and believe in order for them to be reconciled with God. Number five, the perspective of ministry is that it is to be the work of a believer's life which may result in temporal hardships, trials, persecution, perhaps even death, but all for the cause and the glory of Christ. Number six, the power of ministry is the Holy Spirit alone who, through the Word of God, uses us as means to accomplish God's perfect plan. So that's a brief summary of a philosophy of ministry which you might find useful as a saint serving the Lord in whatever context he has placed you. That's a biblical philosophy of ministry. I hope that you'll join us on future episodes when we'll be talking with faithful saints who are serving the Lord by doing this very work of ministry. Thank you for listening. God bless you. And that concludes this episode of The Bud Zone. The Bud Zone podcast is a member of the Christian podcast community where you can find scores of biblically sound podcasts for your edification and encouragement. Go to christianpodcastcommunity.org to discover more. You are now leaving the Bud Zone. Thank you for listening. God bless you. And just a reminder, no doctrines have been harmed during the recording of this show.